And I want to share with you again today just something that I'm experiencing, some current learnings, some of my learnings around an issue or a dynamic in this relationship or this exploration even for some of us of God and what it means. And today I want to talk about one that's it's kind of bewildering at times. It's this reality that we often experience what we could put under the umbrella of just unanswered prayer. Like sometimes we, we pray, sometimes we, we plead with God, sometimes even before we're really following Jesus, where we believe in something bigger, we believe in the, maybe even just the idea of a God, and, and so we try this thing of prayer. Study after study after shows that even in a less religious culture, people are, are doing some form of what they call prayer, right? It, so what, what happens when there's unanswered prayer? What do we do with, with the God that we encounter in the scriptures and the person of Jesus when we bump in to unanswered prayer? Because it can be, can be bewildering. It can be disorienting and confusing and perplexing. And then all of the other emotions that come with that, like frustration and, and disappointment and anger. What, what do we do with that? Let's talk about it just for a little bit. First, let's talk about a couple of the more obvious reasons from the story of God in Scripture that sometimes prayer is not answered. There are reasons that prayer is not answered. And the first reason uh, is just sin. It's just the bottom line issue that there is sin when you and I live like our way is better than God's way. When you and I live like, hey, God says that, but I want this, I'm going to trust my want over God's plan. And so we live in our own way. I love this passage, Psalm 66, 18. This is in the message paraphrase of the Bible. I love how the psalmist said this. If I had been cozy, didn't you love the cozy with evil or with sin, if I had like snuggled up and, and gotten tight with, with evil or sin, well, the Lord never would have listened, which, which really just means We've, we've gotten ourselves outside of a place where God could bless and God could respond and God could work in our life. Now, please hear me on this. This isn't like, oh man, like I, I sinned yesterday. I did something God asked me not to do or I didn't do something God asked me to do and I feel terrible about it and I'm, I'm repentant and I've, I know he's forgiven me. We're not talking about that, that's, that kind of sin. We're, we're talking about sin that we've gotten cozy with in that we know it's sin and we just don't care. We know it's sin and we just don't care. We are choosing to live our way. We're even building a case around our way and why our way is better than God's way. We are snuggled up tight to sin. We are leaving no room for God between us and the sin. That's what the psalmist is talking about. And when there is that kind of sin in our life, what the psalmist is telling us is we're putting ourselves in a place where God can't answer. We're limiting God's work in our lives. We're getting ourselves outside of the places that he can, in his goodness, answer our prayers. Just, they're just sin. Secondly, and semi-connected here, is just the issue of wrong motives. Just wrong motives. Uh, James, who is actually half-brother of Jesus, he actually said in James chapter 4, verse 3, like, hey, the, one of the bottom line reasons we, God doesn't answer our prayers or doesn't answer them the way we think he should is because we're asking with just completely wrong motives. 
We're asking it for our own like selfish gain. God, would you give me so I can? We're not asking it inside the context really of relationship. We're not asking it, God, would you do this? Yeah, for my enjoyment, but also because I'm trying to participate in you bringing your kingdom to earth. I'm trying to participate in your mission. And as your child, I'm asking this. We're really asking purely and only for selfish reasons. And James just says, man, look, I grew up around Jesus, didn't believe in him for a really long time. In fact, didn't believe in him until after his death and resurrection. But I'm just telling you that a lot of times we don't get what we're asking for Jesus. We're asking not at all for his good and his fame and his glory, but just purely for our own good. Sometimes we're just asking with wrong motives. Now, th- those, are, th- those are a couple things, right? Like, and, and that's obvious. But what about, what about when it's not so obvious? What about the prayer that we pray that feels like it would obviously be in line with what God wants, like it would obviously you know, be in line with how God views the world and God's heart for people? What about the prayer that, that sometimes we pray with all the fervency and all the determination and intensity we can possibly muster. What about the prayer that we pray that we are so sure is actually prompted and shaped by the Holy Spirit of Jesus himself? What about the prayer that we actually see God answer other times very similar things right in the pages of the scriptures? What about when that prayer isn't answered? That's a little harder. And honestly, it's it's a little bewildering, isn't it? When those prayers aren't answered, that's, that's when we can so easily say, look, that's so confusing to me. I'm perplexed by that. I'm angered by that. I'm frustrated by that. It actually disorients me a little bit. What am I supposed to do with that? How do I respond? How do I respond to God when it's my prayer? How do I respond to other people when it's their prayer or it's even something I prayed for them and with them and it doesn't seem like God answered or answered in the way we thought, not just that he should, but that he would. Again, that was kind of in keeping with his heartbeat and his desire for humanity. What do we do with that? It's been challenging for me of lately. I've been in the, the learning part of this again because it feels like, quite candidly, it feels like I, I've been in a period of my life where I've absolutely seen some answers to prayer. But I, I've seen a, a bigger stretch of what feels like heartache and unanswered prayer and where is God and what's happening right there. And it feels like I've been with more people who that's the case. And sometimes it's been part of even something I've prayed for them or with them again. It's like, wait a second. How, why, what is that? God, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't, not only do I not have an answer, I don't even know like, how to respond. Like, and last week we talked about the lament and we can lament and that's part of our response with God. We can be that candid and that honest, but, but God, what, what actually has taken shape here? And, and I've been reading several things and I've been navigating through the scriptures and I've been having this conversation with God about it. Like, God, what, what's, what do we do with this? What do I do with this? 
I want to highlight just one resource that is proving to be helpful for me. It's, it's still something I'm working through, but uh, it's, it's a book by a guy named Pete Gregg, and it's just called God on Mute. You, you know, where, where's God when it doesn't seem like he's answering at all, not, not responding, or when the answer isn't going the way you thought? And, and part of the beauty of this book by Pete Gregg, who's written a lot of really helpful books on prayer in this ongoing, growing communication with God, Part of what makes this book so helpful and so insightful is that he actually writes it out of remarkable unanswered prayer in his own life and in his own family. And so it's very personal. It's out of his own deep learning. It's out of something he's actually still living in in this moment. It's just been one helpful resource. But what are a few of the things we, we can say? Like, what do we say in response to this? Okay, God didn't answer. Well, there's a couple things, and, and, and the first one will, will almost feel like obvious, and, and we're kind of going to know. I just feel like we have to acknowledge it to each other, right? Here's the first thing. When, when we're bewildered and God doesn't seem to be answering prayer, here's one thing that's true is that spiritual cliches are not helpful. Spiritual cliches are not helpful. And you know, if you've, ever ha- if you've ever been the person with the unanswered prayer, you know the person who walks up, and, and they're really trying hard. Like, we, we, they want to be comforting, and we want to be comforting each other, but but in the moment, it's just not real helpful to say, well, God's always got a plan. It might, it, it's true, it is true, but in the moment, it's just a cliche, right? It, it, it's, just, it's just a phrase. We're trying to think of something. God's always got a plan. Well, God's always in control. Well, God's the God of all comfort. Well, again, all those things are true, but in the moment, they're not a right now, Raymond word that God is using. They're just our attempt to say something into the, into the quiet, in, into the agony of the moment or the disappointment of the moment. And, and what I want to just say is, look, we, we all can understand unanswered prayer. Whether we're a Jesus follower or not, if we tried prayer at all, we can all agree on the dynamic of unanswered prayer. And what we, what we sometimes need from one another is presence. But just let's give ourselves permission to not try and pull out the, the quick spiritual phrase or answer because it's usually just, it's just not helpful. It's usually not helpful. In fact, oftentimes, it adds to the frustration. And I've been guilty of it. I've done it. I've done it. I've been on the receiving end. I've been on the giving end. But let's just give ourselves permission. It's just not helpful. It, it, it really isn't helpful. The, the second thing that's true when God doesn't answer prayer is, is if it's not because of sin, it's not because of wrong motives, it, it, it rarely makes sense. It rarely makes sense. When, when God doesn't come through in the way we thought he should or would, or, or again, even in the way that we thought, man, th- this is God's heart. Why didn't he? It rarely makes sense. And part of the reason that it, it rarely makes sense is, is because of this, this reality that we are a part of something much bigger going on. And and our prayers really are fought and contested over. When we pray and we're pleading with God for something, there is an enemy that's, that's fighting for a different answer. It's not just, is God going to ignore us or hold out on us or say no? It's, it is God is, is hearing the prayer, but there's an enemy aware of the prayer too, and he is fighting to give us an answer completely opposite of what God's desire might be. And we still live in a world where that enemy has some authority. 
and has some place. And, and it's the sin of the world. It's the sin of humanity that gave him that authority. We gave that to him. And so there is a real reality that sometimes God's answer might have been yes, but the enemy, Satan's answer was no. And, I, and that doesn't mean that, 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 that his answer won because we didn't have enough faith or we didn't pray it just right or we didn't just do it quite long enough or we didn't, that's not what that means. What, what, what that means is, hey, when we've prayed everything we know to pray, when we've prayed as long as we know to pray, when we've prayed as intensely as we know to pray, when we've done all of those things and the answer doesn't come, there is a spiritual dynamic at play that we don't fully understand. We see it, we acknowledge it, we know we're part of it, we know we're part of the fight. But we live on a world where there's brokenness and fights, trying to get more of heaven to this world. It's not fully here yet. And sometimes, sometimes our loss our unanswered prayer is part of a much grander story where we're still suffering the consequences of living in a fallen world. It's not that God didn't want to. It's that our sin gave an enemy of God and an enemy of us some authority in the world. Sometimes we've exercised all the authority we know, and we've exercised all the prayer we know, and we've mounted the prayer army, and we've done it all, right? And it doesn't happen, and there's just an element because of this world and the spiritual world in which we live that the bewildering part comes in part because it just doesn't make sense. And it's so hard. And it's okay just to acknowledge that it doesn't make sense. One of the, the shockingly most freeing things that I continue to learn about unanswered prayer is that one of the most helpful statements I make to myself and maybe with others is, yeah, I don't get it either. I don't get it either. I just don't get it rarely makes sense. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible because it's John 17. Because while we say, okay, like the spiritual cliche thing, that, that's not helpful. And why we, maybe we could start to acknowledge it doesn't, it just rarely makes sense. And it's okay, like it's okay to acknowledge it doesn't make sense. We're not the only one bewildered. And as long as we live in this world, before we go to heaven, before the kingdom of God is fully unleashed and, and like there is no more death and there is no more darkness, like uh, until that day comes, there are all sorts of things that are not fully going to make sense to us as we follow Jesus in a growing dynamic way. But in John 17, we, we bump into something that, that I think most of us miss, and this has been one of the most significant learnings for me in this journey. And, and really, this one was shaped largely by Pete Gregg and, and some of what I've heard him say and, and some of what I've read in this. In John 17, we, have, we encounter Jesus, and Jesus is close to the end of his time on earth. He's heading towards his cross on our behalf and his resurrection for us. And in his closing, some of his closing days and moments, part of what he does is he prays for his disciples that have been with him. 
And then he prays for us, his future, what he calls his church, his people, in all of our imperfections. And I want to like, just read some of this prayer. John 17, we're going to start in verse 6. And we're going to read 6 through 11, then we're going to jump a little bit to a couple other verses. And just, just hear the prayer of Jesus. Then I want to make one observation about it. He's, this is Jesus praying to his Father. I have revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world, these, these closest, earliest followers of me. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. And now they know everything. They know everything you've given comes, you, everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew a certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And so I pray for them. And I'm not praying for the world right now. That'll come later. But for those you have given me, for they are actually yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still going to be in the world. After I'm resurrected and backseated in heaven with you, they're still going to be here. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I'm praying for these earliest followers that they would be completely unified, just like, Father, you and I are completely unified. And he, he finishes up that prayer, and then he begins to pray for all believers for, throughout all time. So Jesus, in this passage, is praying for people like you and me. He's praying for every follower of Jesus in the room. And this is part of what he prays. Go down to verse 22. He says, I've given them, okay, that's all followers of Jesus for all time and everybody in the future who will become a follower of Jesus. I, I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one. Here it is again. As we are one, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Do, do you hear it in both of those prayers? For the disciples, the early disciples, and then now us as disciples and apprentices of Jesus, Jesus is praying for this oneness, this unity of all of his people. Do you know what that prayer is? It's a great prayer by Jesus, isn't it? It's also, it's also still to this day, a couple thousand years later, an unanswered prayer. The, the, church, the church isn't one. All the followers of Jesus are not unified. Look at the last couple of years. We're as divided as we've ever been. This prayer of Jesus is still not yet answered. It's still his heart. It's still his desire. It's clearly desire of his Father who is asking. It's Jesus who was perfect and sinless who prayed it. It was Jesus who was the ultimate sacrifice. It was Jesus who is the king of all the kings and defeated death who prayed it. And it's still not answered. And in that, I begin to find some incredible comfort, knowing that even Jesus, even Jesus knows 
unanswered prayer. Even Jesus now, sitting in heaven, has an unanswered prayer. Later in the scriptures, we find he's still interceding for us. He's still praying for us. He's still praying in part for this. And it still hasn't happened. Jesus feels unanswered prayer like you and I feel unanswered prayer. Jesus himself experiences unanswered prayer, which means this, that while it rarely makes sense, when prayer is unanswered, it rarely makes complete sense. It's also true that we can experience shocking compassion. We can experience shocking compassion. Compassion is great in every form. Isn't compassion just somehow more tangible, more fully experienced when it comes from somebody who has or is experiencing what you experience? It's almost startling. It's almost startling how how comforting that compassion can be, how identifying that compassion can be. It, It can be startling at first, and then it's so good. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like getting into a hot tub, you know. When you take that first step in, it's like it's so hot. It's like ah, you know, you know what's coming, and you still just have this moment, right? And yet you continue to get in, and once you're fully in, it feels so good, right? It's amazing, like right. Two sore muscles, relieves some of the aches, kind of clears the head, slows things down. It's shocking in the first moment. That's so good. And that's, that's the kind of compassion, the shocking compassion we can experience from Jesus around this thing of unanswered prayer. Recently, uh, again, I said, I've got some things just that you feel unanswered. And... I hope one day some of them are still answerable. Some are not. Some are losses. And some of you know those losses. You've prayed for the recovery of somebody and they didn't recover. You prayed for somebody's healing, it didn't happen. You prayed for somebody's marriage to make it, and it didn't make it. You prayed for the reconciliation of a relationship and it didn't happen, and now somebody's passed away. Right? You've been there. For some of you, it's really fresh. I've been there. I've been there. And there's something about when you, when you get with somebody and they've been there. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's Jesus. Even Jesus knows unanswered prayer. So, so here, here's, the, here's the gift. Here's, here's the learning for me in all this. When I look at the words of Jesus, I look at the prayer of Jesus, I look at this, this bewilderment that comes with unanswered prayer. And here's what I'm beginning to understand. Here's what I'm beginning to learn. That unanswered prayer can simultaneously be, can simultaneously be stinging bewilderment and shocking compassion. 
Unanswered prayer at the same time can be an experience of stinging bewilderment because there, there is confusion and there's perplexity, but there's also disappointment. There's also hurt. There is a sting to it. There's always something lost or something we feel like we missed. There's always a sting to it. And yet at the same time, there can be this shocking compassion that doesn't come like an empty spiritual cliche. It doesn't come from somebody who has only sat in an ivory tower and doesn't understand what it is to not yet have a prayer answered. It doesn't come from somebody who only has phrases, who only has ideology, but has experience and practice. Even today, in your unanswered prayer. You might be living with some stinging bewilderment. And at the same time, in this very moment, catching a fresh glimpse of Jesus and how he would engage you and how he would be able to be shockingly compassionate to you. I hope that's what's true. It's what... It's what I am learning. It's what I am experiencing. It's part of Jesus' like, medicine to me, part of his helpfulness to me, part of his revelation to me of how to move forward in unanswered prayer.